0: something that can be an issue is when people are talking in ways that, you know, are very celebratory about these experiences, it ends up possibly alienating some other people or creating a rift between the two groups. I mean, this is science-based. The science is strong. It's where the field is moving towards. And so if we can really harness the dialogue that keeps the groups of people together in the name of science and well-being, then we've succeeded.
1: Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience podcast, an official Wonderland 2023 conference media partner. I'm Keith Feibson. We're excited to have Dr. Lindsay Beer, a Harvard medical trained clinical health psychologist and Forbes speaker in this episode. She is also the founder of Ocean Oriented, an immersive initiative focused on the neuroscience of resiliency for leaders through free diving and raw nature experiences. Today, we'll discuss her work as a clinical advisor for New Life and her expertise in trauma PTSD as a specialization, as well as psychedelic assisted therapy and non-ordinary states of consciousness and high performance, peak existence, in leaders. Welcome, Dr. Bira. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to have you here. Uh, you're involved with so many things. Uh, it was a it was a mouthful for me to. Go ahead and, 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 and get out. Um, but I, I want to ask you, you're involved in the Wonderland Conference, the 2023 conference in Miami, November the 9th through the 11th. Can you talk about your presentation with all the things you're involved with? It's very exciting to have you there, and I'm interested to hear more.
0: Yes, I'm very excited to be involved in Wonderland this year and to bring the clinical psychology lens, especially as we talk about evidence-based treatment and we're integrating this new wave of psychedelic assisted therapy and I'm excited to talk about it. I'm serving on two different panels, one that's related to veterans accessing ketamine, for their well being and recovery, and another panel on using psychedelics for resiliency and creativity. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also giving a 90 minute talk that's going to be used as continuing education credits, where I talk about for providers and leaders how do we talk about our psychedelic ex- experiences mm-hmm. in ways that maintain our own professionalism and the integrity of this growing field?
1: Oh, that's, uh, that's going to be a very exciting topic, especially when we start taking a look at normalizing the conversation. Um, do you see a lot of challenges in that? And what kind of challenges do people face?
0: Yeah, you know, I think this is this is something that it's a talk that I came up with mm-hmm. in the past couple of months because I saw the need for it. And I myself had the need for it. Mm-hmm. There's not much guidance around how we are supposed to be talking about our psychedelic experiences but there is a responsibility that's being disseminated that if you are working with any type of psychedelic as a provider or coach or facilitator, that you need those experiences yourself. Mm -hmm. So the gap is where's the training around how do we discuss those experiences in a way that maintains the professionalism and integrity of the field, which is something, especially with the history of the psychedelic movement, we need to be very conscious of and be able to protect and educate ourselves around.
1: Mm -hmm. I find it to be uh, challenging myself, especially when I'm working or I'm in the company of people who are a little bit more traditionalist in their perspective or their viewpoint. Um, What kind of challenges do you see?
0: Yes. You know, I see quite a few challenges in when, when we're talking to people who have not had these experiences, which mm-hmm. are many people and will continue to be many people. And what I see as something that can be an issue is when people are talking in ways that you know are very celebratory about these experiences, mm-hmm. it ends up possibly alienating some other people or creating Mm. a rift between the two groups. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that I find, you know, very um, empowering about my own position as a PhD clinical researcher being so heavily involved in evidence-based treatment and the research around that is being able to bridge that gap and Mm -hmm. helping other people also understand how to talk in professional ways about this. I mean, this is science-based. The science is strong. It's where the field is moving towards. And so if we can really harness the dialogue that keeps the groups of people together in the name of science mm-hmm. and well-being, mm-hmm. then we've succeeded.
1: Right, and uh, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. You've got two panels, plus you've got this uh, accreditation CE program that you're running. Uh, and then, um, you know, I've also, uh, read in your bio, you do this immersive, uh, program, uh, looking at free diving and raw nature experiences. What, what, what is that? Yes. What, what is that?
0: So this has been a beautiful creative project for me mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. Actually, it was, a it's been past five years, I would say, mm-hmm. and this is something that I pulled together, um after myself getting into spearfishing and freediving and realizing the power around holding one breath, which is what I realized as I was an evidence-based treatment practitioner treating anxiety and panic. When we look at cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of a gold standard in research science with therapy, Mm -hmm. and we look around the behavioral branch, there's a set of exercises that we do called interoceptive exposures. Interoceptive exposures, what this means is entero means inside. Septive is how we perceive. And exposure exercise the exercises, they're supposed to bring up distress and discomfort so that we train the brain to tolerate distress and discomfort and train all the resiliency skills, which is reappraisal, distress mm-hmm. tolerance, uncertainty mm-hmm. tolerance, cognitive mm-hmm. flexibility, all of these outcomes that are what we measure in research consistently that we need to be better at. So as I was treating for, you know, 15 years, panic disorder and anxiety disorders with interoceptive exposures, one of these exposures is teaching people, training people how to hold their breath beyond 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. So the power of this behavioral tool, which again goes under cognitive behavioral therapy, is that in order to get the brain to change, we actually have to bring up the discomfort that's tripping us up and learn a new relationship with it. And so I was having this parallel experience while I was getting into Mm -hmm. freediving and spearfishing and Mm -hmm. really seeing that the same tools that we know that works in neurobiology research Mm -hmm. and neuroplasticity we are also using it in free diving, understanding how we hold our breath and mm-hmm. observe our alarm bells coming from our brain stem and our limbic system. But we choose to keep the frontal lobe engaged. Mm. We choose to use the tools of reappraisal, not giving those alarm bells too much meaning, and that allows our performance. Mm. So I was seeing that both of these things from the disorder perspective and evidence-based treatment, what I've been mm-hmm. doing for years, and then myself benefiting from free diving, these tools and the neurobiology and the neuroplasticity, was actually the same and they led to greater levels of well-being and performance. So then what i decided to do is take two seemingly unrelated concepts which is really innovation when you bring them together right Right. and so i founded ocean oriented last year Mm -hmm. where i talk about and train people in the neuroscience of resiliency and Mm -hmm. we focus on high performance so i take leaders and teams out at sea Mm -hmm. i became a free dive instructor so that i can train people in the concepts of resiliency Mm -hmm. through free diving and i essentially view and an experience of free diving, or even just an experience of one breath hold as Mm -hmm. like a rapid test or like a little Petri dish where we get to do a quick exercise that immediately gives us insight into two things. One, our relationship with our alarm bells and then two, we get to immediately adjust that by using the tools that we know works in science, reappraisal mm-hmm. and kind of tolerating distress, cognitive mm-hmm. flexibility. And this then translates into skills that are useful in many domains of life.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. That's that's really uh, quite something. You know, I uh, I worked in the field of mindfulness. And of course, you know, the whole area of mindfulness is rooted in the Buddhist Uh, 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 understanding of the bhava chakra, which is really uh, I don't want to get into all the details, but it's it's really around, you know, being able to make, um, uh, being able to see the stimulus and then have a different response. So, you know, to have a, a recognition of what the tsunami might be that might be pulling you away, and then to have a different response through the breath using the breath as an observe, pause, reflect, you know, make a different choice. But you're using it as a tool that really has some real world consequences to it and really allows that individual to then go deeper, not only in their dive, but maybe go deeper in their lives. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. You nailed it. And sometimes, you know, we can understand those concepts Mm -hmm. from a mental cognitive perspective, but Mm -hmm. what we know works in the research is when Mm -hmm. we feel it on a nervous system level and Mm -hmm. then get to use those tools in real time while our nervous system is responding in ways that we cannot control. Mm
1: -hmm. That's
0: where the real learning happens and that's why exposure techniques work and we know they work Mm -hmm. really well. Mm -hmm. That's also why that little microcosm of an exercise holding one breath it brings up distress but it allows us to experience that on a nervous system level mm. and then bring in the mind which is knowing the tools that work mm-hmm. and enact those practices in ways that last so you're, you're mm.
1: exactly right Well, you know, the conference is going to be on psychedelics, health and wellness, and, uh, you know, longevity. And I'm wondering, uh, in terms of your uh, background and your work, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, how does mindfulness and or resiliency work in the area of psychedelics from your viewpoint?
0: Oh, yes. You know, this is Mm -hmm. such a fascinating topic, and I'm so excited for the field as we get to explore this more with targeted research, but the concepts are the Mm -hmm. same concepts that we've had for decades and decades. So to me, this is still evidence-based concepts. We're Mm -hmm. just activating it or accessing it through a new tool. So when we look at what psychedelics are doing, so many things they're doing so neurobiologically they're quieting the default mode network among many other things but what that allows us to tap into is what we call a non-ordinary state of consciousness we know that non-ordinary states of consciousness which is n-o-s-c in the research to keep it short mm-hmm. are also like altered states of consciousness and the power of these states is that it allows us to access new perspectives We as humans, you know, we are animals kind of on a very basic level and Mm -hmm. we get conditioned for certain responses when trauma has happened or we have the same stressors or we have, you know, a genetic loading that causes our nervous system to react in certain ways. We get trained to consistently respond in the same way and that becomes our reality. The power of non-ordinary states of consciousness mm-hmm. or altered states of consciousness is that it gets us out of our own reality and actually allows us to have those skills that you already mentioned, which mm-hmm. is cognitive flexibility, reappraisal, being able to see things from the complete other side and also mm-hmm. be able to embody that in our nervous system because we're in a totally different state.
1: hmm so there's that. So there is that. And I, I really do like the non-ordinary states of consciousness versus the altered state. I think Stan Droff talks about, you know, things that are altered are like dogs. You know, it's not necessarily real as opposed to a non-ordinary state of consciousness. And then being able to actually, the the key area here is consciousness, right? It's not... You know, being able to bring that back into your daily life and to be able to go ahead and reboot, reset, reframe your perspectives and to be able to go ahead and activate a different way of being, right?
0: Yes, that's key. And that's why we say that integration is key. Mm -hmm. And integration is so important no matter what experience we go through that Mm -hmm. shows us something new. So even if you go on a retreat or a vacation, Mm -hmm. or let's say you have a very powerful meditation or realization, because something has happened in your life. The next step is about integration. Mm. How do I take what I just realized, or the perspective that I just gained, and weave that into my world in mm. ways that create lasting change, so that I can have more well-being? And so, yes, there's so much power into these non-ordinary states of consciousness because it gives us a perspective shift, a new way of thinking, a new tool. But the power is really in weaving that into our life to create create better stability better emotion regulation, and improved well-being.
1: Excellent, excellent. And, uh, you know, wouldn't that be a, a wonderful place if we could all sort of stop, observe, take a breath, do something a little bit differently rather than react? Because uh, there's so many challenges and so many issues that happen when we just react without thinking or without taking the breath. Now, you know, I I mentioned to you that I'm a vet. I'm, uh, you know, I've been, and and I'm involved with the Heroic Hearts Project as a healthcare ambassador. Can you explain uh, possibly, uh, I know you have a background in evidence-based treatment with veterans. Can you speak to the impact of, you know, mindfulness or psychedelic assisted therapy? I know you're going to be on the panel. Uh, I might be leading that panel, Um, really working with vets and ketamine treatment. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are in terms of, you know, overall with psychedelics or ketamine and uh, working with PTSD.
0: Yes, a fascinating area. And so I worked with the military as a contract psychologist for about eight years and even longer than that with veterans. And we rolled out some of the largest clinical research trials in evidence based treatment for PTSD taking what we already knew what worked, cognitive processing therapy, prolonged exposure, augmenting it a little bit to make it work better and looking at, you know, how do we deliver this to make it work better? So what I've always cared about is how do we adopt new methods that tap into the concepts that we know work to make it work better? Enter psychedelics into the sphere. And what I view with psychedelics, especially the power that it has for trauma PTSD, combat trauma, war trauma, is there is such a nervous system system hijacking that happens with trauma and PTSD. I like to say the brain is hijacked. And when our nervous system and brain is hijacked, we have a lot of difficulty getting smarter than that system to control it. That system controls us. And so with evidence-based treatment, we start to use behavioral approaches to tap into that nervous system activation to teach people new skills. But what we're seeing with psychedelics is that because it turns off or dampens some areas of the brain that normally take control and make things very overwhelming when we face a trauma, because it turns off and quiets those areas, it actually allows us to view the trauma in ways that help people make new connections and not be totally overwhelmed by their nervous system to where they shut down and then have to avoid. And so when we look at something like ketamine, which is now being used and is approved to be used off label for anxiety, depression, PTSD, and trauma, what we're seeing is, It allows some of those areas of the brain to be quiet so that somebody can actually sit with some of the trauma content, learn new ways of relating to it. Again, the power is learning a new relationship with our alarm bells so that we're not giving them as much meaning so that we can see other sides of the traumatic experience make new interpretations about ourselves or other people that are involved so that we have a bigger bird's eye view and have more motion regulation and then have control of our nervous system. When we look at the effects of ketamine and what's been shown now in research phase three trial for MDMA um, and what's coming down the tracks with psilocybin is that they are creating that space that quiets those areas of the brain so that somebody is actually able to sit with the hardest stuff without getting overwhelmed while they're tapping into tools that are going to be long lasting. And we're also showing that this is short term, you know, just, just one session of psilocybin and MDMA has some amazing impacts statistically. And of course, this is research that, well, has been done, you know, decades, whenever it started in the 40s, 50s, 60s, but also started back again in the 90s. So I think one thing that people are confused about is it seems like all of this is just happening now, but no, these trials were started in the 90s. So we have multiple decades now of research that are showing some really promising results that me as a clinical psychologist, a adjunct professor of psychiatry at a medical school, I academically, scientifically could not ignore and i think especially for populations that are so debilitated by their symptoms like ptsd and trauma and veterans who are dealing with these issues this is going to be a powerful tool but we have to make sure it's used correctly and we educate the public on how to access and then what to do with some of these experiences
1: i know that uh, ketamine is uh, legal certainly at this point in most of the states and MDMA is uh, pending legalization, hopefully sometime next year. I'm just wondering if you can, um, if you know, I'm looking at uh, working with a veteran, what would they expect if they walked into a clinic? And what's the, you know, what does that process look like, a typical ketamine assisted therapy session? And, you know, without going into the psilocybin or the MDMA, what kind of benefits could they get from that?
0: Yes. So ketamine can be easily accessed at this point, and you have some choices about how to use it. And there are, you can go into a clinic and you can do the intravenous, so the IV. You can also do the intramuscular, which is the IM. There's also an at-home options, which is the lozenge. And there's also the, the nasal spray, the esketamine spray. So there's many ways to access it. And so that's the first point of choice is to talk to your provider. I think it's very important to create a relationship where you're going to have the ketamine assisted psychotherapy working with a therapist who helps prepare you with tools so that you can navigate the ketamine experience well and successfully and then talk with you afterwards so you can integrate and understand some of the things that you saw or were shown or the experiences that you had to understand maybe the deeper meaning meaning behind that and how it relates to your life so those things are very important now when we look at the actual experience of ketamine so the experience of, of taking ketamine is an intense experience, I would say. So again, this is a psychedelic. So we are letting go of our normal ways of being, and we're practicing some very important concepts that I think anybody can step into and practice more, which is surrender, mm-hmm. trust, acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so as we go into any psychedelic experience and ketamine falls into that is, as that medicine starts to kind of create shifts in our consciousness we want to step into surrender acceptance and trust that's why it's important to do some preparatory work so that we can actually access those tools and then when you go into it it's a it's a very interesting experience and i myself have done it which is the ethical way to do it if i'm integrating ketamine in my practice and working with new life which i am um is it kind of it's a dissociative so it kind of causes this sense where you lose such touch with your body and you lose sense of the structures that we're used to existing within, which is time and space. And so that can be a little bit jarring as we start to experience it. But as long as you have the tools, you lean into it, and then you can kind of navigate the experience mm-hmm. with some really, you know, big beauty. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while I would say, and I, I think it's important for people to know that the experience can be, um, you know, uh, and a little bit of an intense one, mm-hmm. we want that intensity because through that intensity can equal healing, especially if we have the tools.
1: Mm, it sounds uh, it sounds like it marries up very well with the free diving and the raw nature experience to be able to let go, to be able to move into that experience, to be able to uh, really monitor what's going on inside and be able to see the things that maybe you were afraid to take a look at before in terms of who you are and what the challenges are and so on.
0: Yeah, 100% and that's why you know I think when we Mm -hmm. talk about psychedelics Mm -hmm. and even ketamine assisted therapy we also have to talk about the underlying concepts and know that these concepts are the same no matter where we're putting ourselves if we're Mm -hmm. facing discomfort and facing distress to allow ourselves to grow. So even choosing an experience like an all-day meditation or an adventure vacation that makes you feel uncomfortable or something that gets you outside of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. the concepts there stay the same. Surrender, acceptance, trust, allowing Mm -hmm. yourself to gain new perspectives by getting uncomfortable and trying something new.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's that. It's it. I I love that idea. You know, there's that Acer model. I don't. I don't. I'm sure you're familiar with the Acer model. It's, you know, you diving down for the, uh, for the, opening up the oyster, the clam, for the pearl and uh you know in 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 that process being able to take that back or being able to really recognize your resistance and then just moving further into it and then taking that back with you and there are all these wonderful little uh discomforts that when we go deep and we dive deep into our own psyche we are able to come face to face with them and accept ourselves even more so One
0: hundred percent. you know the brain is profound existence and consciousness is profound Mm -hmm. and we are just understanding it and exploring it and these tools ketamine and psychedelics Mm -hmm. that are coming they're Mm -hmm. allowing us to explore that even more i think that you know we have to trust that Our brain and and nervous system knows the things that we need to look at and navigate through. That's Mm -hmm. why we have those triggers and those responses to them. Mm -hmm. And so that's the powerful work is being able to face them, move through them with the right tools and the right integration.
1: Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's often been said that the medicine is inside of us. We just need to be still and quiet long enough to go ahead and really come face to face with that. and. And really uh, transmute it to be able to, you know, change it from what might have been negative into a positive, or at least accept it for what it what it is, and then move on. Let me ask you: when you look at the mental health field in general, um, how have you seen the use of psychedelics evolve? And you know, where do you think it might go to? You know, given your experience and insights.
0: Yes. So I mean, it's evolved just tons in terms of how we're able to talk about it in the past couple of years. Even, um, I was so struck when I attended a two day Harvard medical school summit on psychedelics back in February, it was just absolutely Hmm. wonderfully done. And I was amazed that at this point in time, as an academic community, we can actually talk about experiences with psychedelics and that you know some of the leading professors and researchers in the world are open about the fact that they are doing the work because they've had these experiences and have seen and experienced the profound nature as well as done the research in it mm-hmm. so i think the fact that we are even even able to have open human conversations about this is a beautiful thing because all researchers and all mm-hmm. clinicians are also humans mm-hmm. i think that The fact that we are able to do research in this area is just amazing because there's definitely something there. So we, we need to be looking at it. So I'm proud of the field and everyone involved and people who've advocated. It's just a beautiful time to be a part of this space. Mm -hmm. And I think what we need to really highly consider is to make sure that we're understanding the frameworks around how this needs to be delivered Mm -hmm. to maximize the outcomes and how we as practitioners and scientists need to be talking about this and standing on these platforms in a way. And this is my goes back to my talk at Wonderland right. that maintain, maintains professionalism and integrity. Because mm-hmm. anything that has, you know, these powerful experiences for people, when they get into the hands of people mm-hmm. who are using them more informally, this is where, you know, some kind of unregulated things can happen. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to make sure that we're disseminating the science and disseminating the information and keeping things strong in that area. So mm-hmm. I've been very encouraged by people who are talking in this space and conferences like Wonderland mm-hmm. um, to where we're able to really explore these areas.
1: Well, there's, uh, to your point, I think there's over uh, 85,000 research papers out there right now. There's uh, clinicalresearch.gov. Uh, 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 I think that's the website, but they've got, I think there's close to 500 research or actual trials that are going on at this particular point. And you speak to the frameworks. When you talk to frameworks, what does that, what does that mean? Does it mean just um, to be able to talk about it from the viewpoint of the research and the medical model versus, And and then you talked about the underground model, You know and i think most people are very hung up on this underground model or the stigma that was attached to a lot of the psychedelics which are you know or drugs if you will non-wisdom medicines that many of them are legal but they don't really do much for you you know obviously they they do but they don't have the neurogenesis or the neuroplasticity aspect to it but i'm just wondering what are the frameworks look like from your viewpoint
0: Yes. So I think the most important ones are to your point of how it's being delivered. So mm-hmm. who's delivering it, who's trusted to deliver it, what frameworks are being used with set and setting integration, mm-hmm. the therapists that people are working with, also doing it in the right way. So we know the research is showing the power around using the eye mask and the constant music, which is almost like constant tones, which allows mm. the brain to let go and go within. <laughs> a lot of people are using it recreationally, exploring nature, and you know that can bring some really interesting experiences, but we need to honor the therapeutic and profound model around mm-hmm. that and really educate people. I think a lot of the frameworks that you know, I'm trying to stand on and and push forward is that education piece. So how do we talk about it as providers that maintains integrity and professionalism Mm -hmm. and educate the public? Because I think, you know, you can Google psychedelics and find everything from something that's very woo woo and Mm -hmm. kind of weird to process Mm -hmm. to extremely scientific and this kind of reductionistic model. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: it's hard to access good information, which is why we need these initiatives Mm -hmm. to your point about the underground nature of this, we cannot tease apart the underground nature of psychedelics as we're even doing this science because the models that we're staying true to are the indigenous models. This is mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. plant medicine that's being used for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And so technically that has been being delivered underground mm-hmm. and the beautiful effects of that is what we're looking at right and why i'm so proud of the scientific community for taking those models that already existed quote underground but have really been part of this beautiful ceremonial spiritual Mm -hmm. cultural heritage that -hmm. is very powerful and taking that and doing some science around it Mm -hmm. and so i think while we need to be careful about people accessing these experiences through the underground we also need to honor that it's been through the underground, that it's been able to exist over time and stay alive. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more that we can not get too binary or polarized around this mm-hmm. and the dichotomy and the the dialectical mm-hmm. of holding both things true in the same space mm-hmm. and understanding all of this from a high level, I mm-hmm. think that's where the real power comes in.
1: Yeah, and really, uh, that's wonderful. And really what I'm hearing uh, you say is that Within the new model, there's room for the medical and the mystical, the science mm-hmm. and the sacred. And to really understand that it's not just one way and that's the only way, There's it's both and and the ability for individuals to use these tools or these medicines in a proper way. really requires them to not only understand maybe what the framework is, but what the intention is in terms of taking them, whether or not it's set setting or integration or working with someone who is a guide that can help them to process or integrate or activate some of the, you know, learnings or some of the insights that they might have.
0: Yes. And, you know, one thing more that I'll say about that is this is happening underground and will continue Mm -hmm. to happen underground. Mm -hmm. We can't deny or ignore that reality. And Mm -hmm. so I feel a clinical ethical responsibility to help people navigate that underground. Mm -hmm. This was also what was being talked about at the Harvard Medical School Summit is, we as clinicians, even having a license, there's an irresponsibility around ignoring that it's happening on the underground. Mm -hmm. And I know in my private practice, I've had, you know, multiple, multiple clients of mine come to me and say, I've been invited to this ceremony that's happening. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to go. What do you think Mm -hmm. it would be irresponsible and unethical for Mm -hmm. me to close off and say, that's bad. No, Mm -hmm. the responsibility and ethical piece that I have is to say, you can definitely explore that if you want to but let's make sure you're educated around the right ways to do it what mm-hmm. the research is showing that works what it's been you know done for thousands of years in this sacred way mm-hmm. what we want to stick to to make sure you're educated to seek that experience mm-hmm. the second piece of that that i took from that summit once again was that it is also okay for us as practitioners to create relationships and alliances around you know with people who are functioning in that underground world Mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, potentially guide people to people who are doing it in the right ways. Hmm. This gets into a really interesting gray area because we don't want to promote or condone anything that's illegal and nor would I ever.
1: Right, But you want risk mitigation. I mean, this is about risk management, right?
0: Exactly. So when we look at the patient care model or even, you know, what we... Are responsible for as educated clinicians and scientists is Mm -hmm. to digest the research, Mm -hmm. to understand what's happening, to acknowledge the reality, and Mm -hmm. then guide humans to seek one path that's going to serve them better over another path that might harm them.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, So, yeah. So, I think to your point, you know, when we sort of push things away uh, and not look at them, which, you know, really is at the end of the day what this work is all about you know, we uh, create a a, a darker, more uh, deeper problem. And we've seen that uh, in so many cases. So really what your point is, is risk mitigation, risk management, you know, harm reduction, being able to go ahead and help individuals get the education, get the tools, whether or not it's through organizations like Dance Safe, which has a testing kit, or whether or not it's through really understanding what the process or procedures should look like if you are doing this on your own and you want to be safe about it. You don't want to, you know, somehow fall into the abyss and, you know, have a have a break with reality because you weren't able to integrate, you know, your trip or your
0: Absolutely. experience
1: properly, right?
0: Yes. And I think every practitioner or mental health practitioner needs to seek continuing education in this area, needs to understand how to navigate the psychedelic space, even in mm-hmm. the underground nature, because I guarantee you, they will have clients who are either doing it and mm-hmm. want to talk about it or are seeking it. And so to provide that information from that harm reduction model is huge and we we can actually damage clients by having um ineffective responses when they have had a profound or mystical experience and need to process it and integrate it mm-hmm. and that's been documented that that's happened um and there's there's just a lot that we as practitioners have the responsibility to learn
1: we have to be more mindful and less judgmental and really op- a little open to the You know open to the realities of what's happening uh with individuals as they go through their own process trauma is a a very uh challenging um experience that individuals live with and if there's a tool if there is a medicine there that will help them you know uh ssris don't work uh and we know that they work but you know the efficacy rates aren't as high but being able to have a psilocybin or an mdma journey three or four of them and being able to get you know 70 to 80 percent efficacy rates is and not being able to not not having to take the medicine every single day like an ssri you know that's uh that's amazing it that's really is, amazing. Yeah, it really that's is. Amazing. let me ask you um you know you with uh ocean oriented How do you uh, integrate that into your private practice? And, um, you know, I want to go back to that because I'm fascinated with this area of neuroscience, uh, you know, and resiliency and your ability to bring people into, um, you know, free diving or uh, nature experience. How do you integrate that into your private practice? And, you know, what benefits have you seen from that program? Uh, You're working with high performance people and obviously, Um, you know, there could be a a whole other level of issue that they may be dealing with in terms of, um, you know, not, not fully integrating their lives, perhaps I deal with high performance people. And I know that often, you know, they're just trying to show up for their family and their own life because they're so high performance. They're not present for the things that really matter. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with that?
0: Yeah. So that's one reason why I created Ocean Oriented, because I saw a gap in people who are very high performing, but getting further and further away from themselves and really feeling in tune. Um, And so creating, you know, this raw nature experience, which, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to be uncomfortable in certain times, and that can be adjusted per person. But it's you know just such a great little area to practice those skills very quickly. And so, you know, i had been doing the breath hold with clients with anxiety and panic for, I mean, years, and with PTSD for you know over a decade. Mm-hmm. So in my private practice, I continue to do those interoceptive exposures with you know almost everybody that I meet with because I think that it is such a powerful tool. But that preceded ocean oriented and preceded my involvement in free diving. And so when I work with high performing people, one thing that I'm focusing on is, you know, how do we talk about these concepts at a level that they're going to resonate with? Because it's not about the basics anymore, right? People are already thinking on kind of a higher level and need things that kind of fast paced.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: why these tools and exercises that can be done with just one breath hold can be mm-hmm. so effective. Or there's another one that's hyperventilating. So you hyperventilate on purpose. To like a like
1: stress. a Wim Hof like a Wim Hof breath or a, like a holotro- holotropic breath
0: It's basically 60 seconds of just
1: Uh-huh Right. 67. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So you get dizzy, and you you know, you feel like you're going to pass out. But it's a way to observe all of those mm-hmm. sensations and know they mean absolutely nothing. And when mm-hmm. we do that repeated, then that's what builds distress tolerance, uncertainty tolerance, cognitive mm-hmm. flexibility. And so we're able to work on those skills really quickly. But I also like to, to give tools, tips, and tricks, communication hacks, so that they can have the conversations that they need to. So mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of crossover in that. Mm-hmm um so while i might be working with you know a very disordered person who has a lot of symptomatology that's preventing them from functioning in life and trying to even bring them to surface level so that's you know i get acute referrals sometimes Mm -hmm. with ptsd panic phobias you know fill in the blank depression Mm -hmm. but then i also work with high performing people and asking the question well where is the ceiling Mm -hmm. you know you're already functioning up here but you know, is your zest for life high? You know, what are you dealing with with burnout that might be creating some type of ceiling? And I firmly believe that we should be finding joy every mm-hmm. single day. But if our landscape and our real estate is so taken up by stress and burnout and obligations, a lot of times mm-hmm. that we're putting on ourselves, then when that joy is even knocking on the door, we don't even hear it knock. And we certainly mm-hmm. can't let it into our space. Is so that something that I talk about when we talk about peak performance is it's also peak existence and being able to tap into joy, no matter what the chaos is going on around us, mm-hmm. that we can take that moment and tap into our highest self and know immediately the next step that we need to take, because the biggest predictor of resiliency or one of the most important things for resiliency is having a strong sense of purpose and vision to know exactly mm-hmm. what we need to do to move
1: forward. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that sounds, uh, it, it, you know, I want to sign up right now, uh, <laughs> You know, seriously, really, really good stuff. Let me ask you, you know, for individuals that, you know, may not be able to sign up or may not be able to visit you. What, you know, can, you know, the common Joe do, you know, or the common Sally do uh, or whatever the name is, excuse me. Uh, But, you know, people who are really looking at their own emotional resiliency and peak performance as you know housewives as husbands as you know leaders in organizations what kind of tip would you give them would it be just practicing your breath work is it uh what what i'm i'm kind of wondering if you've got a you know a a kind of a cheat sheet if you will yeah yeah
0: Well, you know, what's interesting about ocean-oriented is I've now been pulled into speaking in -hmm. places that don't even involve the ocean. So Mm -hmm. with Forbes to Milwaukee, did it for a nonprofit in Canada, did a little workshop, Mm -hmm. just got back from Manhattan, New York, where I was at the Neuro Leadership Conference, leading a little mini workshop, a little mini ocean-oriented experience Mm -hmm. where we just held one breath. And so it's just 60 seconds. That's all it takes to observe immediately your relationship with your limbic system your brainstem your limbic system and alarm bells and then while you're observing that relationship and still holding the breath working on those reappraisal tools okay this feels 10 out of 10 uncomfortable yep i definitely want to let go of my breath and i'm not because i can think of another way to think about this that those Mm -hmm. alarm bells don't mean as much as i think that they mean and so i'm going to continue to choose to be uncomfortable in the name of my own growth that's a very quick practice that you can do i think even more generally Follow what makes you feel uncomfortable. We live in too much comfort these days. Mm -hmm. And so you can navigate the world with just that theme and get into conversations or find experiences that are flexing Mm -hmm. your skills to Mm -hmm. grow. Have the hard conversations, do the adventure that scares you but sometimes we need the tools to help us have those conversations or do the thing effectively this is where the set in the setting comes in having the right mindset having the right tools to use knowing exactly your goals and what you need to work on which is why working with a therapist is so helpful And lastly what i'll say is follow me on instagram i'm dripping all kinds of useful things i just held my monday night live so i do monday night lives at 6 p.m eastern where we actually hold one breath and it's ask me anything i'm a psychologist ask me anything Mm -hmm. live and so Mm -hmm. people ask questions and we really explore the human experience and i love the instagram space because it allows Mm -hmm. me to hear what people are trying to navigate and what they're looking for and to allow my perspective and expertise to kind of drip in these ways to just say, hey, you know, try this, or let's all gather for these intentional purposes and practice being human essentially. And then I plan to have some e-courses coming out as well. So there's things Uh in the pipelines.
1: Well, that's fantastic, you know, and it it sort of lends into sort of the final, excuse me, the final question you know, in terms of your thoughts and, you know, looking at the importance of mindfulness or self-care in the workplace or in your personal life, I love the idea of holding the breath. I have a practice in the morning on the exhale, holding the breath, but I find the inhale to be a lot easier than the exhale. You know, that's more scarcity versus the abundance. You know, mm-hmm. I I, I kind of look at it that way. but. Um, Tell us uh your thoughts about you know the importance of mindfulness, self-care in the workplace or your personal life and also how people might get a hold of you uh, get a hold of you on Instagram or otherwise to go ahead and connect with you.
0: Yes. So the best way is to email me and you can find my website www.doclinsybear.com that's mm-hmm. linked on my Instagram as well. So mm-hmm. definitely find me on Instagram. You can shoot me a DM. There's a lot that happens there, though. So the best way is to email me, um, and I'd be happy to help. You know, whether it's you know creating some kind of collaborative initiative, or I I work with people one-on-one in all kinds of capacities. So I'd be happy to chat or point people through to other
1: resources. Great, great. And and it sounds to me like you're uh, on top of all of these areas, which are emerging and and rising and. Uh, uh have you looked at the uh conference schedule are you excited for any particular I person there
0: am well yeah. you know there's there's a couple who i really respect dr mm-hmm. holland chin who's a longevity mm-hmm. physician um dr michelle weiner who's really forged some of the space in talking about psychedelics in fact she was one of my one of the people who i first connected with one of the professionals i first connected with who allowed me to start to find a voice and using my voice professionally in this area so I really respect the work that she's done in the space that she's created for ketamine assisted therapy and I mean everyone everyone is bringing such cool things to the table and so when I look at the list, I'm actually grateful that it's not a huge conference because mm-hmm. the FOMO is real right. and will <laughs> exist at this conference as well. But yeah. I think that what Wonderland does so well, it's it's, it's a very nice sweet spot of right. keeping it in a digestible framework where you, you can really have access to the speakers and the content that's being delivered to really digest this, bring this on board. And then there's going to be the integration piece that's important mm-hmm. afterwards. What are the res- points that resonated most with me, and how am I going to bring this into my world so to disseminate to other people?
1: Excellent. Well, I, I think you've uh, you've brought uh, a whole level of uh, insight not only into the field but into your. Sessions and your panels while you're there, and also I like that. Yeah, there's only uh, last year was three thousand people as opposed to Denver where we had thirteen thousand people. I know I was it there. Was a, it was, yeah. it, it, was a, it was it was it was overwhelming for it sure. It was for sure for sure. We well, I,
0: panic attacks. <laughs> I,
1: I I really look forward to uh, meeting you at the conference. Thank you so much for being on the Mindfulness Experience and for being a part of the Wonderland. 2023 conference in miami thank Thank you so
0: much for having me and for the work that you do
1: thank you for joining us today on the mindfulness experience podcast we'd like to thank dr lindsay bira for her insightful and informative discussion on the wonderland miami 2023 conference and her work with PTSD and trauma, psychedelic assisted therapy, non-ordinary states of consciousness, leadership resilience, and free diving. Remember that as our listener, you receive a 20% discount off the registration cost using our discount code, Mindfulness20. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Mindfulness Experience podcast. And remember to take care of yourself and practice mindfulness daily.